so last week we began our exploration of the Wheel of Life. Uh, this week we'll continue it with a focus on Bodhisattva practice. Wanting to acknowledge uh, when we met a week ago, uh, we couldn't have imagined uh, the horrors that we would be and will be asked to bear witness to. Uh, Israel and Palestine, Middle East. Uh, it makes Bodhisattva practice and Sangha practice. It viv vivifies. How do, how do we live in this world? So, um, let me say the uh, Wheel of Life, just a little review, is from the time of the Buddha. It said it's from the Buddha himself that he created it for uh, King Magadha. I said the name right. Uh, so it was created for a layperson. And it's said to, and seems to, uh, hold and uh, give image to all of the Buddhist teachings. I love the wheel of life. <laughs> In the same way that I love this life. And oh my goodness. Uh, so Laura asked me to remind everyone that the resources are on the, the books and uh, 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 Shobogenzo and Suzuki Roshi talks that I, some of them that I will be bringing forward are on the website under resources. And there is also a wheel of life there that you can download. We're gonna do a slight, we're using a slightly different one uh, that Shufi found, uh, which we're gonna bring up in just a, a minute so that I can review all, all of it. I wanted to start with uh, something from Norman Fisher, who we all know and love, from his book, The World Could Be Otherwise, which is on the Bodhisattva Paramitas. The wheel of life is a mirror of being a human self and the suffering of identifying with this limited self. The wheel of life is a mirror of being a human self and the suffering of identifying with this limited self. The Bodhisattva path is actualizing and living who we truly are. Being true human beings is transforming the wheel of karma into compassion and concern for others. An all-inclusive identity with others that goes beyond and expands the heart, causing us to understand others as ourselves and ourselves as not belonging to us. Dogen says many things, but here's one that I'm going to bring forward. Buddhas in the past, present and future, Abide in flames and turn the great Dharma wheel. 
Flames are the great practice place of all the Buddhas turning the Dharma wheel here. Thich Han. He said this during the war in Vietnam. So he didn't say it from some far aloof place. He was in the flames. Other people are not our enemies. Our own enemies are delusion, hatred, and ignorance. If we see ourselves as beloved, not as victims, we can encounter others without malice, even when we disagree. Big time work. Uh, because I just returned from the pilgrimage uh, in the South, civil rights pilgrimage, I was referencing back to the relationship between Thich Nhat Hanh and Martin Luther King. Uh, and what they both agreed on was a vision of living in beloved community. We should not take this beloved Sangha community for granted. Martin Luther King called it the world house and Thich Nhat Hanh said, becoming a citizen of the world. And I think, I uh, wasn't sure I was going to say this, but I think I, think I want to. Um, bodhicitta, which is the arising of enlightened mind, the arising of the heart mind, the arising of the vow to live with and for all beings, to know that we're not separate. I, I always had this feeling that it would be maybe joyful or sparks of light or, and, and may, maybe it is, but in my experience, what has felt most true as the entry point and the, uh, what keeps this grounded uh, is uh, Trungpa called it, or the translation he used was the genuine heart of sadness. It's grief. It's what makes us human, is grieving. Without the ability to feel something all the way through and to feel grief, we have lost our humanity. So here's uh, Martin Luther King and uh, Thich Nhat Hanh only knew each other for three, three years and saw each other just a few times before uh, Martin Luther King was assassinated. Martin Luther King said at the World Conference of Churches in 1967, uh, someone asked him to describe his meeting with Martin Luther King. And he said, I said to him, Martin, do you know something? In Vietnam, they call you a bodhisattva, an enlightened being trying to awaken other beings and to help them move more towards compassion and understanding. Naomi, do you know that at every day's end, we call you a bodhisattva? <laughs> Julie, do you know the same? Maya, we could all just point to the person on each side of you. 
And then, to, and then uh, Martin Luther King said, I'm glad I had a chance to tell him that because just a few months later, he was assassinated in Memphis. Thich Nhat Hanh wrote to a mutual friend uh, after this happened. He said, I did not sleep last night. They killed Martin Luther King. They killed us. I am afraid the root of violence is so deep in the heart and mind and manner of this society. They killed him. They killed my hope. This morning, I have the impression I cannot bear the loss. I have felt, and I would imagine all of you this week, how do we bear what we are witnessing? And probably will be asked to witness. Bodhisattva practice is the practice of compassion feeling and grieving and being witnessed and bearing witnessed and not turning away. So we'll get back to that, although it's right here. Let's, uh, I'm going to ask Ben to put up the, the wheel of life just so we can remember we are human beings. This is the world of samsara. Uh, to wander in the world of samsara is to be pushed around and um, led around uh, by our karmic impulses. Uh, wandering. A bodhisattva and a bodhisattva vow is to be present in this very life touching the earth like the Buddha with deep vow to wake up with and for all beings. So let's, uh, the ferocious being is Yama. Yama is death, impermanence. Uh, the name literally means restraint, holds the wheel of samsaric suffering, the first noble truth of suffering in his, her mouth. Don't think you can get away <laughs> in any of the ways that we try to escape. In the very center, you go into the very, very center. It's an ancient depiction of greed, hate, and delusion. That's the root of it all. And the animals in the center uh, that have an ancient meaning, we're not making anybody bad <laughs> through our Western eyes, but they all have the others uh, in, in their mouth, complete, completely greed, hate, and delusion, just going round and round and round in a circle. It's dynamic. Greed, hate, and delusion colors our experience of life. It drifts to the background until something uh, uh, activates it. Get to study it. I always remember Richard Baker saying, everybody's nice till they're backed into a corner. I think of that a lot. My life is pretty privileged. I'm backed into little corners. I've never been backed into a big corner and I feel really, really humble about what my response might be. I hope and I pray and I practice really deeply 
that my vow would sustain me. Uh, the next uh, ring out, the black and the white, are beings uh, either, uh, we could say, um, cho they're choosing wholesome choices, unwholesome choices, going round and round. There's a choice in each moment. Around the big outer circle, going out to the very, the very edge, is the uh, 12-fold chain of cause and effect or of interdependent origination or dependent arising. Uh, there, there's really uh, lovely commentaries and images that you could uh, study, but I'm not going to go into that right now. Uh, Trungpa called it a karmic chain reaction. The general law is that things arise through conditions. When this exists, that comes to be. When the arising, with the arising of this, that arises. When this does not exist, that does not come to be. With the cessation of this, that ceases. I think we can watch karmic chain reaction happening right now. I mean, in our own hearts and minds and in the world. And there's choices each moment. If you go to the bigger center, uh, that's the six realms. And I will point out, because that's what I want to focus on today, uh, is there's a bodhisattva in each realm. Uh, the Buddha described the experience in each realm uh, through the simile of a heart, uh, hot, weary traveler. So some people, um, it's a physical situation. Some people are born into God realms. Some people we might say are born into hell realms, hell realms of war or deprivation. Or... Also psychological states that we all move through gives us a way to study our heart and our minds. And it also feels really important to say that these are also manifest in the world. And it manifests through the climate crisis, through war, racism, social and economic inequality. And there's choices as we all move through these realms. So the wonderful thing about the Bodhisattva, the teaching is, is that each in, the in each of the realms, the Bodhisattva can manifest uh, exactly uh, a, a division body to be exactly what's needed in each realm. The very top, the white, always at the top is the God realm. Um, I misspoke last week on this particular wheel. The, the warring gods, the jealous gods are on the left-hand side. You can see, I think they have, they have weapons. Often they're on the right side, the next one down. So the realm of the gods is, is just ease. You got what you want. You're entertained. There's really, the problem with the God realm is there's not enough suffering to wake up in until, because this realm is still uh, uh, conditioned in cause and effect until something happens and your God realm crumbles or starts to fall away or you get a gray hair. The antidote, the meditation is uh, impermanence, meditating on impermanence. The realm of the angry, jealous gods, the Asuras, 
is they're just like the gods, but they're not so secure. They feel like they have to constantly be vigilant. They favor competition over uh, collaboration. The core feeling is, is that somebody has something that I don't have. Please study these realms in your own heart and mind. They can be really subtle or sometimes something will happen and it'll just be like, whoa, <laughs> I thought I'd worked with all of that. And then suddenly the ground begins to shake a little bit. Uh, the way they awaken is through difficult situations, uh, loss of privilege, prestige, bad things happen and there is awakening. <laughs> so bad things aren't always what we think of as bad. Not so bad. The antidote is compassion meditation. Uh, so then we begin to move over to, uh, we're going to move down to the right hand side, the gray, the gray, which is the, the, uh, hungry, the hungry ghosts, the gray, and then the very bottom, the hell realms are said to be the, the worst realms to be reborn in and the most painful realms to be in as a human being psychologically, uh, the realm of the hungry ghosts, uh, they can never be satisfied. Thanks for doing this, Ben, for making it visible. They have large stomachs and thin needle-like throats. They can never swallow enough food. Everything they swallow turns into uh, ashes. And often uh, we, we see it through addictive behavior or compulsions or obsessions. We, we do, or we used to do a ceremony around this time of year, actually, uh, for, the, for the hungry ghosts to, to feed them. Uh, the antidote is generosity, meditation on generosity. If you move down to the very bottom, it, it on this wheel has a very large presence. I think we're more aware of hell realms uh, this week. Uh, if you're in this realm, you're overcome by suffering often a dominance of feelings of aggression, anger. There's hot realms on the left you can see where there's more anger and abuse driving people away. The cold realms is you shove other people away with coldness, more and more isolation, and often that uh, aggression will turn on yourself. The antidote in this realm is the precepts and loving kindness meditations, which we can do for others as well as that part of ourselves. Uh, the two, if you go up to the left side, right above, you'll see the animals, which is the animal realm. Uh, the animal realm and the human realm, this wheel's a little different, but usually they're, they're the uh, kind of in, in, in the middle, although the human realm, which I'll talk about in a minute, is clearly the preferred realm. Uh, I found, because we had a little discussion yesterday or, or last week, um, I'll just say the animal realm in the more traditional view is you spend most of the time focused on eating and sleeping, trying not to get eaten towards pleasure and away from pain. And in the human realm, it looks like trying to just get things to really be stable, not much curiosity or discernment. Here's what I found, what Suzuki Roshi said about the animal realm, which I thought was, again, relevant 
for this week and always. He says, just to respond to some outward stimulation is not right. That is to behave like, and then he laughs. Suzuki Roshi always laughs a lot. That is to behave just like animals. We have clear distinction from animal life. Natural as a human being or natural as an animal is different. If someone hits you to hit back, that is an animal-like response. We're not disparaging animals. <laughs> I love animals, but it's interesting to look. You should not forget your true nature, your inmost nature. We do not feel good when we hit someone. It is much better than to be hit. As a human being, it is much better, but you will regret it if you hit others. So that's, according to this wheel of life and the ancient teachings, why being born in a human realm is so auspicious. Because in the human realm, you have the possibility of discerning and making choices and practicing. That more and more leads to compassion. And then you don't want to hit other people or treat yourself that way or anyone that way because you more and more know and wake up to there's no separation we're all just moving around in this wheel waking up so the bodhisattvas actually before we put this because let's uh ben can you shrink it back in because i'm going to take this away if that's okay but I want to show you first where I want to focus today. I think this is a beautiful wheel of life, the blueness of it. Uh, there, there are many different colors and there's different, different images. Uh, but this one, you can see the vastness of the sky and it seems to um, ra radiate through. There's, if I can find it, there's a wonderful, oh, there's a wonderful quote by Jane Hirschfield, to be that porous to have such largeness pass through me. You can feel in this image and have a sense of, it's, it's, por it's porous. There's this wide open sky, mind, consciousness. And then if you look uh, on the upper right-hand corner, there's a Buddha. We'll come back to this. And on the upper left-hand corner, there's a moon. There are different images in, in different tankas, different depictions. Uh, I particularly love this one. And so I want you to note that. And uh, then we'll take that down for the moment. Thanks, Ben. So the Mahayana Buddhist ideal is the Bodhisattva who stays in the world to help others. Although it's really interesting that uh, Suzuki Roshi is very, is very clear, almost vehement, that the division that we have between Hinayana and Mahayana is just one more false division. He says, from the beginning of the Agama Sutra, supposed to be the oldest Buddha Sutra, even there, the thought sentient beings are numberless, I vow to save them. It's, it's, it's all, it's all, of course it's always been there. We didn't make this up. It's just Mahayana brought it forward more fully and clearly. So the world is called the Bodhisattva's Playground. 
and the arising and cultivating of way-seeking mind. There we go. We're going to move to way-seeking mind more fully next week. And then some people, some of them who are here, will be giving way-seeking mind talks just so that we know it's not somebody out there or somebody in the past or somebody in the future. It's you and it's me and the person next to you. So Dogen again says, in the sounds of valley streams and the colors of mountains, which if I'm not mistaken, we just studied. After having aroused Bodhi mind, the mind of compassion, the way-seeking mind, even if they transmigrate within the six realms through the four kinds of births, the causes and conditions of transmigration will become practices and vows for awakening. So you can't, you can't get it wrong. You've already got exactly what you want and wherever you find yourself, that's exactly it. So I want to say something about that, the Buddha in the upper right-hand corner. The Buddha uh, is, t is in a teaching pose and pointing to the moon on the other side. Uh, in the wheel of life, there is suffering and the causes of suffering, samsara. The Buddha is pointing to there is another way to live and freedom is possible. The third noble truth, freedom from suffering is possible. The root of the word Buddha is to awaken from the sleep of ignorance. Chakyamuni Buddha near Monakaya of our world was a human being just like you and me. That's what's so beautiful about it. Is Shakyamuni Buddha is the model of this is possible. And Shakyamuni Buddha was bodhisattvas in many lifetimes, including animal lifetimes. And Shakyamuni Buddha awakened as a human being. We're all Buddhas waking up to be Buddha. That's part of how you know a bodhisattva or a Buddha is to see the Buddha in each person. That's our job, that's our work. You may just look like Natalie, but you're a Buddha. I know you're a Buddha. And I also know you're Natalie and Bruce and me and all the rest of us. So the Buddha in the upper right-hand corner is the Dharmakaya Buddha, which is sometimes called the truth body, uh, the truth body or the Dharma body. That is an all-inclusive formless body. We get glimpses of that, maybe. It's always here, Buddha nature. The entire world is Buddha's body. The Buddha's pointing at the moon like the finger pointing at the moon. So I want to read to you what Dogen has to say about the moon, because I think it's one of the most beautiful images in our tradition. Dogen says, Shakyamuni Buddha said, Buddha's true Dharma body as it is, is open sky. It's right there in the Tonka. In response to things, 
forms appear. This happens, then that happens. Thus is the moon and the water, the Buddha's true Dharma body as the as it is of open sky. Everything is Buddha's body. That's why we sit zazen. You can't figure this out in your head, but you can get a taste or a whiff. Zazen is our embodied bodhisattva practice. So we can stand up and be bodhisattvas in the world. Going on, Dogen says, this open sky is the as it is of Buddha's true Dharma body because it is Buddha's true Dharma body. The entire earth, the entire universe, all phenomena and all appearances are open sky. Hundreds of grasses and myriad forms, each appearing as it is, are nothing but Buddha's true Dharma body. Thus of the moon in the water, an ancient Buddha said, a single mind is all things, all things are a single mind, thus mind is all things and all things are mind. We just think you're over there. And all this stuff that goes on, all these forms and feelings and consciousnesses and wanting to hit and feeling hit, it's all Buddha's body. And if you put any one part of it outside, you've lost the whole world. That's our practice. That's when Shakyamuni Buddha sat down on the earth and said, I vow to be here with and for all beings. And you probably know, and I love the story, is that when he touched the earth to affirm, in many it says that the goddess, the earth goddess, the ancient earth goddess, re reached up and touched back in affirmation. This ancient agreement, and then the whole earth says, shook like a joyful woman. To me, this is the root. Let's take care of this great earth. She is our body and we are her. Okamura Sensei says, one of the most important teachings in Mahayana Buddhism is that samsara and nirvana are one. And actually, there is no river between samsara and nirvana. When all people are working to help others on this shore, we find nirvana on this shore of samsara, even though we are still deluded ordinary beings and there are many problems and hardships. We are bodhisattvas working in samsara with all beings. There is no there over there. It's right here. We try to help Dharma flowers bloom in the muddy water. So bodhisattva practice, vowing practice is a verb. And it contains everything. There's a beautiful saying, it's one of my favorites, is fall down on the ground and get up by the ground. Of course you're going to fall down. Of course we're going to make mistakes. How are we going to learn something if we're not trying and adventuring and pushing ourselves to the edge? What's it feel like here? And here? 
to open and vow, to fall down on the ground and get up by the ground. And then the saying actually turns again and says, I think this is Dogen, you fall down on the ground and get up by the sky. That's a really beautiful one. What is that is to fall down on the ground and get up by the sky. So we let go over and over, let go of our identification with what we think we are or what this life is, even what's good and what's bad. We completely give ourselves to imperfection. We immerse ourselves in unsatisfactoriness. We study the self. We study our delusions, our pettiness, our cravings, our frustrations, our rage, confusion, envy, and our own woundedness. <laughs> this is to study the self. It's very humbling being a human being. And the more we do it, the more tender we get and the more awake we get and the more we want to take care of ourselves and everybody else. I think our job is actually, and why we sit zazen actually, is to stabilize so we can sit on the earth and the ground with all beings, so we can more and more feel joy and wonder, and simultaneously or almost simultaneously uh, to let our hearts just break over and over again. And in fact, I think the joy and the beauty and the suffering are just the more you practice it gets more subtle and you feel more. And there is more sadness. That's my experience. And there's joy. It's why Suzuki Roshi laughs all the time. I think sometimes this <clears throat> more severe Zen thing, uh, I love that Suzuki Roshi laughed a lot if you look at his original transcripts. Just here's a, I was going to tell you something by Thich Nhat Hanh, but I'm not going to because I want to tell you something by Suzuki Roshi. Uh, I found this beautiful translation of, I think it's beautiful to take the Bodhisattva vows and write your own. You can also write your own precepts. It's like, don't keep it out there. Find out what it means inside and in your own heart. So here's one translation of Thich Nhat Hanh of the Bodhisattva vows. Creations are numberless. I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to transform them. Reality is boundless, I vow to perceive it. The awakened way is unsurpassable, I vow to embody it. One of the ways I say it is beings are numberless, I vow to save and be saved by them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end and be ended by them. Dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter and be entered by them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable, I vow to embody it. It's a deep mutuality of just sitting right in the center of the entire world. 
and waking up moment after moment after moment. Okay, so here's all of this was I was leading to this. I, I uh, if you go on Crooked Cucumber, I mean, we've all read, I, I presume, probably read numerous times, uh, uh, Beginner's Mind, and not always so. And please, I, I hope we do do that forever. But if you go on, I think both the Zen Center website, but also Crooked Cucumber, which is David Chadwick, uh, there are lots of unedited uh, lectures by Suzuki Roshi. And it's fun to go in and kind of feel and have a sense of he, he was bringing this from Japan right after World War II, bringing it in a time that uh, it's kind of remarkable the way he brought the Dharma. And um, I, I, I don't think he simplified it. In fact, the more I study him, the more I'm amazed at what the depth of uh, his study and what he knew. But there was a way, like a bodhisattva in each realm, he knew somehow how to speak to us. And I think that's each of our jobs, no matter where we are. So this is what he says about how to take the bodhisattva vow, which in our tradition we do, if you take lay ordination, you take priest ordination, you, you um, lay entrustment, dar dharma transmission, what Norman's doing this week, it, it, it's, it's all the bodhisattva vow. You, you do it when you're married, if it's a Buddhist wedding ceremony. You do it when you die. You give the precepts. So it really is uh, the, the heart of our tradition, the vowing and the precepts. And I know uh, there was just a wonderful class that was offered, I think, for about a, a year. And before that, it was offered for a year. And, and it will be offered again and again, the Bodhisattva precepts. So here's a little advice from Suzuki Roshi. Why the so-called Mahayana Buddhist arose was because the teaching of Buddhism became more and more concrete or caught by concrete ideas of some particular teaching or some precept study this in ourselves. They rigidly tried to stick to the teaching. At first they respected the teaching too much and tried to preserve the teaching. And that was the purpose of the priest, especially. And this kind of effort results in very rigid understanding of precepts and teachings. I think we all fundamentally just want somebody to tell us what to do. Like it's what's so awful what's happening in the news is somebody must know, somebody, somebody must know what to do. At first, the Buddha did not have any idea of setting up precepts. And when someone would do something wrong, the Buddha would just say, that is not right. Why don't you do it this way? He's just trying to be helpful and kind and meet the person. That was the original precept. This is a precept all the Buddhists should keep. But when we count the precepts as don't do, don't do this, don't do that. Which I think if you're like me, it's like this week is, oh God, just don't do that. Then we set ourselves and everybody else up to fail. 
you can't do it if you violate them you're not a good buddhist you're not a good human being what suzuki roshi says is when we observe the precepts and why we take a bodhisattva vow is to actualize buddha's spirit to actualize the spirit of buddha that is enough to over and over arise buddha mind deep vowing mind deep living with and for all beings. I don't know how to do this. And we'll see what else he says. Even though it's not possible to save all beings and you can't make what's happening stop. Moment after moment, you must say, I must save all sentient beings. And that's it. That's it. Forever. It's impossible. And what else are you going to do? So to be a Buddhist, moment after moment, we take the vow. So it's not necessary to think about whether it's possible or not, or whether we can stop it. I mean, please, let's think about what we can do. But fundamentally, you just say, I will do it. That's enough. Arise the mind of bodhicitta of the genuine heart of sadness, of love, of interconnection, of caring, of service. Just say, yes, I will do it. And then he hits the table. Suzuki Roshi grew up in war in Japan. He's like Thich Nhat Hanh. He grew up in horrors. That's what Buddha wants you to say, that's all. And whether you can keep it the next moment or the next day is not the point. Do you understand? To arise Buddha mind, Buddha mind, you just say, I will do it. I will do it. I will save all beings, whatever your language is. I will be here with and for all beings. I will watch my mind. I will watch my impulses. I will cultivate compassion with and for all beings. It's like jumping into the ocean. I will do it. And then there's no trouble. If you observe carefully your everyday life, you are actually doing it. You're already doing it. He says, when you understand your life in some sophisticated way, and then he laughs, is when you get in trouble. We're all already doing this. We're all getting up every morning and saying, I will do it. Yes, I will. Here I am. Whoops, fell down on the ground. Whoops, get up again. Study the self is to know the self. Buddha nature can't be taken away. No matter how many horrible things you might do or someone might do in a lifetime, it's our inheritance. And our job is to, and I think we all, it's amazing we found this path. Little Buddha bodhisattvas sitting in each realm, watching our own screwy, wonderful minds and hearts, watching this screwy, amazing world, just saying, here I am. Yes, I will. So I think I want to stop with, because I want to give everybody time to talk about any of this, and maybe in particular, uh, yes, I will. But here's, um, this is from the Zen Peacemakers about bearing witness. 
I don't think it's ever been so clear as it's been this week. We're all being asked to bear witness. The practice of bearing witness is to see all of the aspects of a situation, including your attachments and judgments. You cannot live solely in a state of not knowing because life also asks that you face the conditions that are coming at you by being present to them. When you bear witness, you open to the uniqueness of whatever is arising and meet it just as it is. When combined with not knowing, bearing witness can strengthen your capacity for spaciousness, thus enabling you to be present to the very things that make you feel as if you've lost your center and you just want to get out of here too hard. It can strengthen your capacity to listen to other points of view, thus allowing a more nuanced picture of a situation to emerge. Point two, Buddhist meditation trains you to bear witness by strengthening your awareness of thoughts, feelings, and sensations. Please, now's the time. Touch the earth, stay in the body. As they arise and pass, as your awareness strengthens, you begin to experience spaciousness and stability, maybe moments, all depends on what kind of corner you're getting backed into, and see that you have a choice in your response about what's arising. Does not mean repressing, doesn't mean acting out, Bearing witness can allow you to eventually come to terms with the most difficult life circumstances. And the practice is always here. And as we practice, that wheel of life and that wide open sky and the Dharmakaya Buddha and everything being us and we being that means that when we practice here, we actually are helping over there, quote. And over there is touching us. There's a really deep mutuality here. Keep dedicating our hearts to the well-being of the world. And three, there is nothing that you cannot bear witness to, from dusting the lint off your sweater to living in a pit for two years. In bearing witness, you are actively engaged and embodied, even struggling with what is arising. And I think it's really important to say, we each have, we really, part of studying the self is understanding our own body, heart, and mind and capacities. I've worked with veterans, you know, it's like, how do they just do what they do and plunge into war zones? <laughs> so some people are really, really, well, lots of vets are very sensitive too. It's, I mean, we're all this and that and, but, but no, and take care of yourself. That's taking care of the whole world too. Mm. 
Dogen says, it's not without cause that minds and all things self and other come together. Therefore, at the moment that you arise, Bodhi mind, myriad things become conditions that increase this aspiration. Everything is arising and perishing in each moment. That's why we can bring wholesome action to unwholesome action and unwholesome action can change. But he acknowledges that our flawed humanness is exactly in each moment the place of an opportunity for repentance and starting over. And that arousing bodhicitta at this moment opens the way for wholesome actions to manifest in this moment. So the good news is this is pretty awful. The bad news? Did I say the bad news? The horrible news. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. And the good news is, and I'm saying good, is practice. 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 That's the wheel of life and the little bodhisattva in each one and the Buddha up there pointing at the moon, pointing at us, saying, yes, I will. So, okay, you got some time now. Let's go into groups. You can talk about any of this. Uh, um, let's give each person a little time to just kind of un unfold whatever is turning in you. I'd encourage you, I, I love, yes, I will. I live by, yes, I will. What might that mean? To you and maybe that's not what you want to live by what the language that works for you and uh then we'll come back in about 20 minutes okay 